Welcome to The Kinked Wire, the interventional radiologist podcast from SIR's IR Quarterly Magazine. You can learn more on our website, sirweb.org slash kinkedwire. This episode provides audio abstracts of papers published in the May 2022 issue of SIR's Journal of Vascular and Interventional Radiology. You can find the full papers on jvir.org. My name is Santa Herwell. Hello, my name is Jenna Maligro, and I am a third-year medical student at the University of Hawaii, John A. Burns School of Medicine. I will be reading the abstract titled, Prospective Multicenter Clinical Study of the Colvera Vascular Covered Stent in the Treatment of Stenosis at the Graft Vein Anastomosis of Dysfunctional Hemodialysis Access Grafts by Domach and colleagues. Purpose to study the use of the self-expanding Covera-covered stent for the treatment of stenotic lesions at the venous anastomoses of hemodialysis arterial venous grafts, or AVGs. Materials and Methods A total of 110 patients with AVG venous anastomotic stenosis of greater than or equal to 50% and access dysfunction were treated at 14 centers in the United States using percutaneous transluminal angioplasty followed by covered stent placement. The primary endpoints were 30-day safety and 6-month target lesion primary patency, or TLPP. The secondary measures included access circuit primary patency, circuit cumulative patency, and the number of re-interventions through 24 months. Results. 75 patients, or 68.2%, completed 24-month follow-up. The TLPP rates were 54.2% at 365 days and 36.9% at 730 days, while the access circuit primary patency rates were 16.7% at 365 days and 7.8% at 730 days, analyzed using Kaplan-Meier. The access circuit cumulative patency rates were 85.4% at 12 months and 73.6% at 24 months. The number of re-interventions to maintain the patency of the access circuit was 3.6 plus or minus 3.1 at 24 months. Conclusions Use of the Covera-covered stent for hemodialysis graft vein anastomotic stenosis provided a safe treatment option with a TLPP rate of 70.3% at 6 months and TLPP and cumulative access circuit patency rates of 36.9% and 73.6% at two years. Hello, my name is Fiona Doolan, and I'm a fourth-year medical student at Trinity College Dublin School of Medicine in Dublin, Ireland. I will be reading the abstract titled Endovascular Repair of Narrow Distal Aortas Using an In-Situ Fenestration Technique by Jayette and colleagues. Purpose to demonstrate that in situ fenestration of an aortouniiliac endograft to treat aortouiliac disease with narrow distal aorta vessels is effective and safe. 
Materials and Methods Data for all patients treated by in situ fenestration between August 2014 and December 2019 were analyzed. The series included 27 patients aged 70 years with a standard error of 11 years. The pathologies treated included aortoiliac occlusive disease for 16 patients, asymptomatic abdominal aortic aneurysm for 8 patients, and a ruptured abdominal aortic aneurysm for 3 patients. The technique consisted of deploying an aortouniiliac graft, which was converted into a bifurcated repair through contralateral iliac in situ fenestration. The inclusion criteria were the presence of an abdominal aortic aneurysm associated with a narrow distal aorta, or the presence of severe aortoiliac occlusive disease with a narrow distal aorta. Narrow distal aorta was defined as an aortic diameter of less than 16 millimeters. Results. The mean aortic bifurcation diameter was 11.9 millimeters with a standard error of 1.5. In total, 55% of the fenestrated endografts were performed with a multi-filament polyester endograft and 45% with expanded polytetrafluoroethylene endograft. Technical success was 100%. Fluoroscopy time was 28 minutes with a standard error of 12, and 94 milliliters of iodinated contrast medium with a standard error of 43 was used. In the postoperative course, a single minor retroperitoneal hematoma was identified. The mean hospital stay was 5 days, with a standard error of 3. At the mean follow-up of 26 months, with a standard error of 22, overall primary patency was 94%, and no endoleak was observed at the in-situ fenestration site. Conclusions The in-situ fenestration technique is safe and effective in the treatment of aortoiliac disease with narrow distal aortas. Comparisons with alternative techniques are needed to determine the long-term durability. Hello, my name is Ashley Lau, and I'm a third-year medical student at ATSU School of Osteopathic Medicine in Arizona, and I will be reading the abstract titled Survival Analysis Using Albumin Bilirubin, or Albigrade, for patients treated with drug-eluting embolic transarterial chemoembolization for hepatocellular carcinoma by Young and colleagues. Purpose. The albumin bilirubin, or albigrade, has been established as an improved predictor of survival in patients with hepatocellular carcinoma, or HCC, treated with conventional transarterial chemoembolization, or TACE, and Y90 radioembolization. The purpose of the study was to investigate the utility of albigrade in prognosticating outcomes in patients with HCC treated with drug-eluting embolic TACE. Materials and methods. A single-center retrospective review was performed to compare the efficacy of albigrade in child PU classification in predicting the survival of patients with HCC receiving drug-eluting embolic taste. A total of 303 patients with HCC were identified who had received drug-eluting embolic taste without concomitant local regional therapy within 30 days. 
Survival analysis was performed using Kaplan-Meier methods and censored for curative therapy. Survival curves were stratified based on the Albi grade, Child Pew class, Barcelona Clinic Liver Cancer Stage, Eastern Cooperative Oncology Group Performance Status, and the presence of ascites. The discriminatory ability of survival curves was calculated by the Concordance Index, or C-Index. Results. Kaplan-Meier survival curves stratified by the Albi grade produced distinct, non-overlapping curves with a p-value of less than 0.001, showing greater discriminatory ability than the child PU classification. The substratification of the Barcelona Clinic liver cancer stage by the Albi grade yielded greater discriminatory ability than the substratification by the child PU classification. For patients with Barcelona Clinic Liver Cancer Stage B, the substratification by the Albi grade yielded distinct curves with a p-value of 0.01, whereas the substratification by the child pew classification did not, with a p-value of 0.379. Conclusions: The Albi grade shows improved discriminatory ability compared to child pew classification in differentiating overall survival among patients with HCC receiving drug-eluting embolic taste. Furthermore, the Albi grade was efficacious in substratifying survival among patients categorized as child pew class A and patients with Barcelona Clinic liver cancer stage B, whereas the child pew classification was not efficacious. Thank you. Hello, my name is Matthew Becker and I am a third-year medical student at SUNY Downstate College of Medicine. I will be reading the abstract titled, Management of Acquired Uterine Arteriovenous Malformations Associated with Retained Products of Conception by Gao and colleagues. Purpose. This study was to evaluate the efficacy and safety of different treatments for acquired uterine arteriovenous malformations, or AVM, that were associated with retained products of conception and to investigate the role of uterine artery embolization, or UAE, in acquired uterine AVMs that were associated with retained products of conception. Materials and methods. This was a retrospective study of consecutive patients who were diagnosed with uterine AVMs by ultrasound after recently terminated pregnancy. 48 patients were included in this study and were divided into two groups, those with major vaginal bleeding and those with minor vaginal bleeding. The treatments were analyzed between groups. Technical and clinical success rates of UAE were analyzed. Results. Of the 48 total patients, 11 patients were in the massive bleeding group and 37 were in the minor bleeding group. Five patients were referred for UAE in each group and UAE was a priority for patients with unstable hemodynamics. Conservative management, dilation and curatage, operative hysteroscopy, and UAE were performed in 16, 18, 7, and 13 patients, respectively. Two patients with ectopic pregnancies suffered uncontrollable bleeding during dilation and curatage and required emergent UAE. Three patients underwent UAE before surgery to prevent hemorrhage. The technical and clinical success rates of UAE were 100% no complications or recurrences occurred. Conclusions. UAE is a safe and effective treatment for uterine AVM 
that is associated with retained products of conception. It is a priority for patients with unstable hemodynamics. Conservative management, dilation and curatage, and hysteroscopy are safe and effective for patients with AVM that is associated with retained products of conception, who are also hemodynamically stable. However, uterine AVM following ectopic pregnancy may have high risks of massive hemorrhage during procedures. Hello, my name is Griffin McNamara, and I'm a fourth-year medical student at St. Louis University School of Medicine. I will be reading the abstract titled, Gender-Based Survey Analysis of Research and Mentoring in Interventional Radiology by Lee and colleagues. This study sought to define gender-related differences in attitudes, perceptions, and aspirations among trainees interested in interventional radiology and to analyze their experiences in research and mentorship. A cross-sectional survey study was conducted among the members of the Society of Interventional Radiology, resident, fellow, and student, and medical student sections in the summer of 2020. The anonymous survey assessed 27 items related to demographics, attitudes, and experiences with research, mentorship, and career aspirations. Descriptive statistics were calculated using Fisher exact analysis and student t-tests. Of 105 respondents who indicated their gender, 30% were women and 70% were men. Although both genders reported similar levels of research experience, women trainees were less likely to feel valued and encouraged by their institution to engage in research with p-value of 0.02 and were less likely to indicate that their program required them to participate in research with p-value of 0.01. Female residents and fellows reported more difficulty in finding a mentor with p-value of 0.04 and received less mentorship relating to IR education with p-value of 0.002. This work provides a perspective on the perceived obstacles faced by women trainees in pursuing research and finding effective mentorship in the field of interventional radiology. The authors hope that this data may guide future interventions to boost interest and engagement in interventional radiology research and residency programs in a way that promotes gender diversity and equity in the field. We thank all the medical students who helped with this episode. My name is Steve Lazar. I'm a third-year medical student at Virginia Commonwealth University School of Medicine, and I was your audio editor for this episode. If you are an attending, fellow, or resident and would like to mentor the next generation of medical students interested in IR, please consider joining SIR's Mentor Match Program by emailing sir.msc.mentor at gmail.com. The research from this episode appears in the May 2022 issue of JVIR, And you can visit jvir.org for the full papers, other audio content, and much more. 